0: If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the the book of Acts, chapter 17, as I want to just talk to you about the unknown God. So that's a rather strange title, and of course the passage of Scripture in in, uh, the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul in the city of Athens, a great center of art and amusement and intellect, Uh, While he is in Athens, Athens' glory has begun to diminish. It's not what it was. The Roman Empire now rules. The the Greek Empire had fallen. But Athens still remained a very center of culture and education, intellectual discussion. The arts and amusement, pleasure dominated the landscape of Athens. And it's through this place that Paul is walking And if you were to go to Athens, you would see statues of various deities throughout the streets and the various areas and uh, uh, all these things would be evident. They would have centers for discussion. And as Paul is walking through, he's aware of these deeds. Now, he was very... He wasn't you know he knew they weren't real but he saw something that caught his eye as he was watching the landscape of what was happening before him and he was trying to preach and teach Jesus and the resurrection and people began to rumble about that and talk about that and uh because the resurrection was not a common thought among the greeks they actually thought that you'd be to be to die would be to be set free from your body and that was good and they couldn't understand why you won't have a resurrection so uh in this mindset, he's preaching something of, of they quite didn't grasp. Perhaps they thought he was introducing a new deity. Uh, Anastasia was a deity of resurrection that some would prefer would to. Uh, and so in all this, there, he's, he's taken in the culture of Athens. And, he, and he's aware that they are chasing after pleasure and, and prominence. And they love the arts. And they love the, the ability to debate and discuss. He had encountered the Epicurean and Stoic philosophies. One was almost atheistic. The other was pure spiritualistic in the sense of there's a God everywhere. And therefore, we need all these deities. But they, they believe it didn't really matter. So in this culture, this mindset, he begins to communicate the gospel. And, uh, and they took him to Areopagus. They heard what he said. We want to, it wasn't like he was forced to go there or, or he was imprisoned. He said, we want you to, we want to talk about this. Let's come and let's discuss what you've said. And they pulled the philosophers together and they said, let's, let's hear what you've got to say. This strange thing you've talked about. It's foreign to us. And Paul takes the opportunity. He was making the trip, saw a, a, an altar built to the unknown God. And that becomes the, the, pivotal, the, the launching pad for his sermon, the unknown God. I have put in my notes in the introduction, in a very religious environment, it is easy to miss the obvious. The truth about God becomes unknown to our culture. I want to say to you today that in the 21st century we have built an altar to the unknown God. We've done it very well. A culture has embraced so many diverse deities that they've forgotten And he's become virtually unknown to the masses. Athens had no moral power. With all their knowledge, they didn't know the one who matters most. So I want to talk. I want to share with you. Let's read together. Um, and I want to talk to you about these things. First of all, I, I've, I've covered the, the process of how he was sharing the gospel and got called to share and talk about what he was saying. And uh, let's look at verse 23: For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, notice the plurality, objects, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, beginning in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands, though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath in all things. The first thing I want you to do is you must recognize... God's greatness as the creator of the universe. This is where Paul started. He said, that unknown God that you've got, that you're trying to make sure you don't leave out, that somehow you fit him in amongst all your other deities, I want to tell you about him. He really is important. For he is the creator of this world. Therefore, that is why we should be aware of his greatness. You see, every thinking person basically wrestles with three questions throughout life. One is, where did I come from? The other is, why am I here? And the third is, where am I going? That's what we all wrestle with in some form or fashion. Where did I come from? Science tries to answer that. Why am I here? Philosophy tries to answer that. Where am I going? Nobody seems to know. The good news is the Christian faith answers all three of those. The Christian faith will tell us where we've come from, why we're here, and where we're going. And that's what has brought Paul to the center of attention. He is about to answer these questions that they've been discussing for centuries and never found an answer. And he begins to share the amazing greatness of God as the creator of the universe. The Epicureans, they were atheists, and that all was, uh, all was matter, and matter was all there was. Didn't matter, because it was matter. The Stoic, everything is God. God did not create anything, but he organized matter and impressed on it laws and orders. Now, that's, that's, that's Paul's audience. And he's saying, I want to tell you about there's a God who did create everything. He didn't just organize it. He created it. And the fact you say he doesn't exist, you better ask the question, where did the matter come from you think really does exist? For the word create, ex nihilo, comes out of the fact that uh, uh, we believe that concept that it was out of nothing came something. It's just that simple. God created all that we see and enjoy in this world from a physical standpoint. Today, I'm convinced we've erected an altar to the unknown God. You say, Pastor, why do you say that? Because we have come to a point in our culture where we refuse to recognize Him as Creator. You see, if He's not our Creator, then now, if we can dismiss the fact that He created us, we now remove the reality of Accountability. And therefore, we make our own rules and determine our own morals and determine our own lifestyles in such a way totally contrary to our Creator. So, over the process of many years and several generations, we've finally managed to basically dismiss the concept of a Creator. Creator. and we find our intellectual and academia of society falling at the altar of evolution and worshiping it and then they can say there is no god because there's no creator and then man must be the center focus of existence it is tragic today For we dismiss His greatness. The God we worship today may be the one you see in the mirror. Or what you have in your bank account. What you have hanging on your wall. Why, actually, the God we worship today may be even the God of religion. Having a form of godliness but no power. But it sure feels good. we are today. We have finally, over several generations, raised up generations that aren't sure who God is. We've told them that they're a product of evolution, a product of an accident, not a design. Therefore, they have no real foundation for where they came from. Because they're at best a product of an accident, there's no reason to know why we're really here. And if we do not know that there was a design in the beginning, we have no hope of knowing there's a destiny to achieve in where we're going. This is where we are. It has become all about me. And I'd like to say that only applies to those outside the faith. But the truth is, we've been drawn into that culture. Because we think it's all about us too. We do. We, we, we tend to think, well, Lord, you know, it's all about my happiness and my satisfaction and my this and my that. No. It really is all about him. Paul is talking to this amazing group of men. And he's saying, I want you to know that there is a creator. He created this world. And he doesn't live in shrines. And he doesn't live in buildings. In the Old Testament, God established the building of, his, of the temple. To illustrate and draw pictures of the future coming of Christ. Everything in the temple would point to somehow former fashion to Jesus Christ. It was a picture of what was to come. God never intended for his people to worship the building. But that's what they begin to do. They worship the building. They worship the temple. The temple became the big deal. God simply put that there to give a picture of what was to come and he established the Holy of Holies to meet with the high priest and there it was understood the presence of God was very real among the people of God because he gave us a symbol to seek a, a something substantial to see. And everything in it pointed to Christ from the, from the altar to the candlesticks to the basin everything in it was a way of communicating the gospel for the future. now In the New Testament, there is no temple that accomplishes that. Do you know what he replaced that magnificent temple with in the Old Testament? You and me. For the New Testament says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we, right here. The saving presence of God dwells in us. Okay? The reality of relationship with Him is in us. He doesn't dwell buildings. He dwells people. So Paul is saying these shrines, I, the God I'm talking about, won't; these won't work. These mausoleums, these things you've got, yeah, these museums, all these things you have to honor the various deities that you don't even understand are useless for my God. He doesn't fit in a building. He's bigger than that. He cannot be formed out of stone because no one has ever seen him in any time and lived. Now, uh, the God I'm talking about won't work in your culture the way you perceive him because he's bigger than your culture. And that's what he says to us today. We've come to how to figure, how can we figure out God? How can we explain God? How can we understand God? Even the arrogance of sometimes as Christian people, we try to do that. We try to explain mysteries that really can't be explained. So people think we've discovered the final answer and we're brilliant. Truth is, we're really nothing apart from the work of God. And we need to come to grips with that. Some things we're never going to really understand because it's God. And we cannot understand God. If we could, well, if I could understand God, he wouldn't be much of God. If I could explain everything for him to you, I, he's not that much. But he gives us bits and pieces to put some of the mysteries together. And he gives us answers for those mysteries. And sometimes he doesn't give us answers. I need God, God. You don't have to. So we see this and we understand this. He is creator. So Paul says, that's what I want you to know. There's something else I want you to know. As I look at further on as I read, here's what he says. For from one man, he has made every nation of men to live all over the earth. And watch this. Got to get this and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. So that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist and even some of your own poets have said. He quoted a poet from their culture. For in him we live and move and exist. And he said, I've quoted one of your quotes because he's right. For we also are his offspring. Being God's offspring then... We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art or imagination. But he says, here's what you know about the God that was creator. He took out of nothing and created something. And while we have tried to brainwash and program our future generation to think there is no such thing, it's merely a fairy tale. They've embraced a lie that has set them on the course of absolute destruction for morality. And we wonder why we are where we are. I am unapologetically a creationist because I know my God. I, I know Him. And He's told me what He has done before there was ever a foundation in the world. So from that, I need to realize if He's Creator, if He's Creator, then I must pay attention to how I respond to Him. There's now an accountability factor. And I must, must realize that if he is creator, and if he can bring something out of nothing, then what is he doing in my life? Why am I here? If I came from him in the concepts of his mind and in the imagination of his, of his inexhaustible ability, if I came from him, then why am I here? Well,. 1st got to recognize it, his greatness. Then you've got to realize, number two, the glory of God as a coordinator of life. He's the creator of the universe, but he's also the coordinator of life. That clip you watched, all those men and those various inscriptions were talking about God being a coordinator. He had carefully coordinated things to bring about his purpose, even the birth of a nation. We won a war we shouldn't have won. We've established a nation that should have never been. We have become a world power like no other. Do you really think we're that good? Or maybe you think God had something to do with that. Now, nah. Seriously, our, four, our founding fathers thought God had something to do with all that. They really did. They had no doubt in their mind that they won a war they, they shouldn't have won. And they're simply by the grace of God. You see, we realize the glory of God as a coordinator of life. Our forefathers believed in the providence of God. Simply put, God determined there was going to be a nation that one day become the largest missionary organized country in the world, and carry the gospel to the ends of earth like none other has ever done. Providence of God. Uh, you know, I, I like to read stuff, and I, you know, of course, on Facebook now, I'm getting I get all these posters and cards and stuff. It's kind of interesting. Got you know, one that says uh, uh, "Southern by the grace of God." And I and, hey, and you know what? I agree. Southern by the grace of God. I'm I was born in Atlanta, Georgia by the grace of God. I didn't have a vote, didn't have a choice. I was born in Georgia. Glad I've been born in Georgia. I've had the privilege of pastoring in Georgia all my pastoring. I love Georgia. But I want you to know, here's what he says. Look at this. Kind of catch this. He determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Did you see that? He says, guys, look, I want to tell you about the creator who created the universe and all we enjoyed experience. But now I want to tell you about you individually. You guys are in Athens because of God's providence. And you guys are in Lindale, Georgia because of God's providence. And we're in America because of God's providence. Yes, it is by the grace of God we're in America. You could have been born in Russia. Or Africa. Or India. South America, Canada, you're born here. It's not an accident. You see, we go back to understand that God is a the creator, therefore he is involved in his creation. And he, Paul says, he is determined when we live and where we live. Isn't that awesome? Did you get that? A point in time is when you live. You were born to live in the 21st century. Some of you were born and live in the 20th century. Uh, some of us, most of us. And now, we are li- now we've reached over the 21st century. You think that was an accident? No. You had something to contribute in the 20th century that would affect the futures to come. And we have something in the 21st century to contribute that would affect the days ahead. You see, we're here for a purpose. And God says, I have specifically placed where I want you to live and, and when I want you to live. I used to, when I was a little kid, I don't know if y'all did this when I was kids, When I was a little kid, uh, of course, Westerns was a big deal. And I always kind of wished I'd lived in the 1800s. I said, man, wouldn't it be nice, just be great to wear a gun all day long? A little scary knowing how would be wearing a gun all day long, isn't it? Wearing a gun, you know... Wide open stuff, not many rules. You say it'd be great to live. Then you, know, but you realize the lifespan of a cowboy was under forty years old. I don't know now I'm thinking that's not too good a place to live. The preachers in the 1800s had to be had to be tough. Uh, they had to be tough. When the old-time frontier preachers had preached on sin and and made some guys mad, and the word got out that that uh, well uh, we're gonna come take care of that preacher tonight when he gets through, we're gonna whip him. We may kill him. So they came into the tent meeting and they had their guns on and they sit down where he could see them and they just kind of glared at him. You know, back then, times the preachers wore the long coats down to here, and so. Um, he gets behind his pulpit and before he begins, he pulls his, that coat back and pulls out two revolvers and places them on the pulpit and says, if you guys move, I'll shoot you where you sit. But I don't live in the 1800s. I like, I like where I'm at. Had to walk everywhere, ride a horse back then. Tough. Uh, So, but see, God said, uh, you know, and meaning, Tim, you wouldn't have made it back then, dude. I couldn't let you be born back then. I got to put you up a little bit in more of a uh, sophisticated culture, just like you. We are where we are because that's where God wants us to be. Please hear what I'm about to say. You're not here by accident. None of us are here by accident. Every one of you are vital to the kingdom of God. Every single one of you. I believe that. I, I embrace the fact that you have value to bring to the table, every one of you. Whether you like me, agree with me or not, don't matter. You're valuable to God. I, I, I don't, that kind of stuff don't matter. we got, we got to get beyond that kind of stuff. Uh, we we got to get to where we understand what God, we're here for God's purpose and what does He want to do and accomplish and, and fulfill. And therefore, we, we attach Him to the glory of God as a coordinator of life. He puts people in specific places they could... Uh, and can find him. You see, he puts you here because you'd hear the gospel at some point in your life and you'd come to Christ. And he, then he uses you here to bring other people to that same reality. And so we find that there is the glory of God in the fact he coordinates life and events and circumstances. And yes, nations rise and fall by his word, plain and simple. So I don't know, we get kind of worried about the wrong stuff now. We get worried about stuff we can't change, and can't fix. But we get all worried about it. Guys, I don't know who's going to be on top 10 years from now, but I know God wins in the end. That's what I do know. I, I, I don't know who's going to be the greatest country 10 years from now. Is it going to be China, Russia, or I don't know. I'd like to think it's us. I don't know. But God already has a plan. need to understand that. And the whole purpose of everything that's revolving around the various rising and fall of nations and what's happening now in our world is simply to give people an opportunity to come to know Him as Savior. We are here to reach a specific people with a gospel, plain and simple. That's why we're here. We're in Lindale to reach people in Lindale and Floyd County. And because of our roots as Southern Madness, we reach Georgia and we reach America. We reach around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are an amazing, we're in an amazing time of life that everything we do can touch the world. Every time you give the, your tithe, you're touching the world. Every time you pray, you're touching the world. It's awesome the time in which we live. It's incredible. Like no other. We're learning how to use technology more effectively. I would encourage you to take your phone and figure out how to share what Christ doing in your life and talk about Him more than you do. I know it's great to talk about a lot of stuff. Um, why don't you talk about Jesus? I mean, I'm trying to figure out how to do that and try to get on Twitter. I'm, I'm going to be in work and doing that more and more because I think that's a conviction I have that God's dealt with me on. Man, I need to really take the, the media and use it for his glory. I think what we're doing with the third worship service is trying to reach a whole different kind of people because there's a different kind of people out there. They don't know the Bible stories we know and the things we know. They didn't grow up in Christian homes. A lot of them are not going to do that. We're going to have to figure out how to reach them. They're bound by darkness. Man, some of them have such uh, spiritual oppression in their lives. We're hoping to set the captive free. And Sunday mornings, I love what we do. Because we see visitors come at 11 o'clock and sometimes at 8.30. And and it's awesome to watch God bring people in our family. We've had decisions 21 out of, out of uh, uh, 26 Sundays. It's been incredible. I'm thankful for that. Because we're here where we're supposed to be. Once we understand that God appoints where we are, for the time we're here, we can be doing what we're supposed to do. We know why we're here, to accomplish His purpose, fulfill it. So I don't have to be wondering about or wishing out somewhere else or doing something else or somebody else. I just know I'm supposed to be me because God created me. And so He established me where I want to be. So that's what I want you to get. I want to remind you this. Because of this, God always knows where you are and what you're going through. That's my word of hope to you. I don't know what you're going through, but God knows. And God always knows where you are because he appointed where he's going to be. He ain't lost you. He hasn't misplaced you. He hasn't forgotten your address. He knows where you are. And he knows what you're going through, and he's got a purpose for all that, whatever it may be. There's going to come a time that he will be obvious in your life. And the truth is, everything that happens in all our lives is simply a way of bringing people to Christ. Plain and simple. What it's all about—the growing us or reaching others. He never forgets us. He's ever faithful. The last thing I want to share, very quickly, is we receive the grace of God as the only Savior for sin. Meaning, His grace provided Jesus as a Savior for sin. His grace provided a sacrifice on the cross in the name of Jesus. He says that I created one man, Adam, and we're all descendants of Adam. Adam did something tragic one day, sinned against God, and we became therefore descendants of Adam and his sin. We had also that which Adam was created with, the image of God, but it became distorted because of sin. The authority of God, that became uh, minimal because of the curse of sin. And so as we realize what's taking place, then, then God said, I got a plan. Genesis 3.15, I'm sending someone, going to take care of it. He's going to correct what Adam corrupted. He's going to make it right. And as surely as by one man sin came, I'm going to provide one man and salvation is going to come. And at an appointed time. In a special place, he'll come. We know him to be Jesus. For the simple purpose of seeking. You see, here's what he says. So that they might seek God and perhaps might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Has he preached that sermon? Some people laughed at him. That's the stupidest thing we've ever heard. That's a fairy tales there's ever been one. Creator. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, no. Nah. Some said, we're kind of confused. We don't understand everything you've said. We want to talk to you more about it. But the Bible said, but some believed him. And that day, some people in Athens found Jesus. They were saved. They were saved. I want to tell you, have you ever stood in line at a, at a restaurant restaurant? You're kind of one of those, you know, real popular restaurants. So you got to get there. You got to stand in line. And you find yourself, you're kind of, uh, you get there and and you're maybe like number 10 in line. And you're going, this is okay. 10 is not bad, not a bad way, you know. And then something happens. Two or three people come up and you find out that somebody was holding the place. And then another two or three people come up and somebody was holding the place. And you find that all of a sudden you've lost your place in line. You've been moved further back. And the truth is, none of us like that. Let's be honest. You know what's happened with God? There was a time he was the front of the line. And we began to move him back. Other things got in front of him. And we moved him back. And we moved him back. And we moved him back. Other things kept coming. We thought were more important. More special. More acceptable. And we keep moving him back. One time he was a creator. Now... He's not much of anything to most people. One time he was a creator who was involved in the affairs of people. Now we're gonna take care of ourselves because we're smart, we're capable, we're intelligent We're moving back. Nothing wrong with those things unless you just place God with them. And then finally we got, God used to be the provider, but now we provide our own stuff. We, make, we get everything we want, have everything we want because we're here for our pleasure. And we keep moving him back. That's what we've done to God. We've kept putting stuff in front of him. You know, as as I've had that happen me a couple times, being in line, I find myself losing my place. And I'm not going to say anything because I'm going, well, you know, I understand. And I don't know if there's a real law about holding place. I don't know. But I do know this that in my mind there's a point in time if one more person gets in front of me. Don't be it. God's, God's saying that. All right. I'm fixing to let you know I'm here. You've pushed me to the back. You keep putting things in front of me. You keep thinking things are more important than me. Yeah, and you keep pushing me to the back. But I'm telling you, I'm going to let you know I'm here. He is. This coming Saturday, we'll be participating in a prayer walk with some other guys. And if you want to join us, you can. Let me know if you'd like to be a part of that. We're going to take out Saturday morning and walk from the boundaries of our county, four different boundaries, and come together in the, in the, at the auditorium in Rome and pray for our country, for our county, for repentance. God says everywhere you need to repent. You need to change your mind about how you've been treating me, what you think about me, and how you're living. Just that simple. Just that simple. God had a place in your life at one time. What have you done to push him back? Isn't it time to get rid of that? And for some of you that never trusted Christ, you've never given a place in your life. You're really in trouble. Serious trouble. Isn't it time you give him a place in your life? Finally say yes. Say, well, I don't know it's my time because he just said it's his will every mere for men to repent. That's why you know it's your time.